Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Jill Darling here in the studio um, with me with her, her book of poems, A Geography of Syntax, out with Lavender Ink. Um, Jill, thanks so much for coming down to the studio to talk. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, T. Oh, oh, well, it's always good to see you. <laughs> yes, always. Um, thanks also for picking the songs for today's show. Um, did you want, why, why the first song? With, like, what? <laughs> uh, I, I just, I picked songs just that I like, I guess. And um, I don't know, who doesn't love Adele? And maybe everybody loves Adele, so it's... Uh, overdone but uh you know some i spend a lot of time by myself i think and quietly and i forget to turn on music so some songs you know are extra you know like break the everything else so uh, adele's one of those kind of you know her, her voice is sort of is is very it's very full and epic isn't it yeah Somehow. it's <laughs> it's really full and then you know just the sounds and whatever so it's good like to get me out of my headspace which i probably spend too much time in uh <laughs> adele and then some of the other songs that will be coming up are really like do something totally different with your brain kind of songs which ah, is nice ah. well hopefully maybe we can talk a little bit more about that headspace in a minute <laughs> if that yep. sounds good um so i'll I'm, i'll read the your bio from the, the, um, the back of a ge geography of syntax. Jill Darling is the author of Solve 4, Blaze Vox eBooks, and Begin With May, a series of moments, Finishing Line Press, as well as two collaborative chapbooks with Laura Weatherington and Hannah Enser at the intersection of three and the first steps are the deepest. Her critical poetics essays can be found on how to and something on paper online. She's had poems, essays, and short fiction published in journals, including Noor, Denver Quarterly, Afghabi, 580 Split, Quarter After Eight, Factorial, Rampike, Horseless Review, Two Serious Ladies, Unlikely Stories, and in the anthology, Poetic Voices Without Borders. Darling teaches writing in and around Southeast Michigan. And that's actually how, how we met. That's we? how we met. We? That's true. Sweetland Center for Writing. That's right. <laughs> and it's so good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's, so we have a geography of syntax on the table with us for today. Um, but maybe later in the program, You've also brought a manuscript with you, too. Yeah, so the next book is um, called Reiterations, and it's going to be coming out in the winter, maybe February or March, from Spoyton Duyvil Press, which is in New York, so that's pretty exciting. And um, I'm arranging, there's no money in the poetry world, but I'm arranging for myself to participate in a reading in New York uh, so that's fun in the oh, spring. Oh, great. And what yeah. what reading is that? Do you have the, the facts yet, Jill, or is it um, some... There's a few facts. Uh, so um, I think it's called the KGB. Ooh. I think that's what it's called. Uh, bar in New York. And it, there's uh, we even trying to get a reading scheduled for March or April, like every night of the week is, week is booked already. So it's a popular poetry reading series place. Since, Wonderful. Since forever. Yeah. Poetry um, lives. Yeah. That's right. And um, Petra Cuppers, who um, I'm reading with, and Stephanie Height on, on Sunday, Sunday. 
um, Petra, we haven't worked out details yet, but it's possible that the two of us will be reading there and possibly, and Petra also, her book has just come out from Spoyt and Doival. So, and we may have another Spoyt and Doival writer too. So this, this event that you just, you just mentioned is this Sunday, September 24th at Nicola's Books. Yep. And this Sunday. And after, mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon poetry at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Yep. That's okay. right. So people can come and see you and also. Yes. Um, and Petra, also Petra Cuppers. Yep, and Petra Cuppers and Stephanie Height. So um, it should be a rockin' poetry time. Uh, yes, of course. We wouldn't <laughs> expect any less. Yeah, yeah it should be fun. We're, we're excited. Oh. So, But you have to get there early to get a parking spot in the Nicholas parking lot. Right, right, because it's such a, it's a, it's a lovely hub of activity yes. there with... Um, <laughs> You know, well, we won't. I feel like now we're doing a promo for the Westgate (laughs) shopping mall. (laughs) But anyway, Nicholas is great. And support your local bookshops. That's right. right. They make our extra excited to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. Okay. Awesome. And so, and you're going to be reading poems for us today, too. Yes. A Geography of Syntax. Can we start by talking a little bit about the project? How long was this book? in the making, Jill, and sort of, yeah, what's the origin story of this this book? That's a good question, T, and I will make up an answer right now, um, <laughs> because it is, I don't know if it, I'm not sure if it has an origin story. I was looking through yesterday and anticipating that possible question, uh, and I think some of the poems I think I wrote before 2005, and the majority of poems I wrote I think between 2005 and 2012-ish, when I was in grad school working on my PhD. Um, so the good and the bad thing about that is I was writing poems while I was doing that other, you know, academic thing. Um, and then the bad thing was then I had this collection of miscellaneous poems, and I it took me a while to, like, revise it into something that made sense. So I worked on all of the poems are, you know, cover a broad uh, amount of time. And then sometime thereafter, I put it together and started sending it out to publishers. And it kept coming back rejected. It was it was a finalist a few times. So that was exciting. But, you know, always a finalist, never a, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I would, you know, get it back, revise it, send it out, get it back, revise it. And that went on for a long time. And then the I think Lavender Inc. contacted me like a year after I had sent it to them. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, of course it's still available. Um, so they well, went no, back. No, they were very lucky. <laughs> that it was, that it was still, yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course, you're very lucky that you contacted me just in time. Thank you, Lavender Inc. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, no, they're totally, they're totally awesome. I'll say something more about them in a minute, too. But um, so they said, you know, if it's still available, we want to put it on our short list and we'll get back to you. And in the meantime... I had this other manuscript that I had been sending, the one that's coming out in the winter. So I had been sending that out, not even any comments back, just like totally rejected. So I thought, there's something, not sure what to do with this thing. So I had some friends read it and give me some comments. And then some of the comments they gave me on that thing, I actually helped me do like yet another final revision on this thing. So when can it... You, can, how so? Can you remember one of those or... Um, yeah, so there's uh, one of my former students when I was teaching creative writing at Eastern, Miranda Matelski, is a super, she's a super brilliant and creative, like she does visual art, she's an amazing writer, she's super smart. And, um, you know, I sent it to kind of a list of people. So she gave me some really great comments. And also Laura Weatherington, who you read on the friend intro. The, and friend of the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's a friend of Ann Arbor, poet. Um. <laughs> So, and one of the things that Miranda said, which was so funny, Miranda's a lot younger than I am. So, she, you know, she had lots of good things about like the imagery and the language and that sort of stuff. And she used this term. She said something about archaicisms. And I, I, I'm not sure if that's a real word if she made it up, but it took me a while. I had to keep like reading it and try to figure out what she meant. And finally, I saw the word archaic in it. And I was like, oh, she's talking about my like, like funny language. Like it's she meant it in the best possible way, but I think it was like the language isn't very fresh or dynamic, like old-fashioned poetry language, which is 
funny because a lot of the um, stuff that I write is more coming like from the experimental or, you know, language poets and that sort of stuff. Oops, sorry. But I went back and looked through and I just started like highlighting or underlining words and images and you know, some of the concrete stuff that could have been more interesting or unexpected or dynamic or something. So I literally like went through poems and changed words. And then I also went through and I I changed a whole bunch of titles. So then the titles, as you look through, some of them kind of relate to the title of the book, A Geography of Syntax, a little bit more too. So I think that helped make it more cohesive also. If that makes sense. Because then by, because the geography of syntax, did it give you then a larger landscape? Because there's titles like landscape and and mapping figures into it, choreography. Yeah, Um, yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of that, like in the content of the poems, a lot of that stuff was there. And then I think I thought I spent more time thinking a little more creatively about the titles to kind of give them more connection through too. And did it? And did the book also have um, a geography of syntax? Did it also have the the sections? Or then was that because we have um, so everybody uh, out there? We have um, let's see, the geography in shades of flavored syntax, a lyric intervention. I love that landscape comma is continuous, and then a smaller sub one, the traveling orchestra to end it. Um, so is that were those some of the titles that all is that what you're talking about, Jill? Yeah, the, those are section titles, and I think I those I'm not sure if I changed the section titles so much in the final revision, but I definitely I like to think about breaking it the manuscript this or other ones into sections because it slows it down a little bit, I guess, as opposed to just a whole book of continuous um, poems, and then. Yeah, like some of the like topology of color, choreography, or map it, polymers. I think those were kind of new. Like, I don't know, the original titles were just not very interesting or something. <laughs> so it's better Hold now. Now you're being too self-effacing. <laughs> no, it's here. better now. So, I mean, it worked out good that it, it got sent out so much and kept coming back. And then the, like the final revision I did, I, I like this version of it a lot more than it was before. So, so, so it really feel, feels like through that process, although it was a bit... Like you had to persist. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it was. It made it. It did make the book find itself. Like you feel like it. Yeah. It, now it is itself. Yeah. So that's the retrospect advice I give to myself. Okay. <laughs> and, to, and to all of us, yeah, it's good. Right. To, it, thank you like, for talking about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and even thinking like a whole year later, then like you might hear from yeah. someone. Right. You just right. Don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, will you read us a poem so that we can get a sense? of a geography of syntax before the break. Yeah, so um, I might read, if we have a minute, I might read this. So there's this epigraph in the front from Gertrude Stein, and I was thinking about how, I don't, there's not any specific poems about Gertrude Stein in the book, but I think she informs a lot of the book. And I was reading Gertrude Stein's A Geographical History of America, the relation of the human nature to human mind uh, while I was working on my dissertation and while I think I was writing some of these poems, so which I only recently made that connection, which is funny. Um, so the epigraph from Stein from the geographical history is, Flatland is not romantic because you can wander over it, and if you can wander over it, then there is money, and if there is money, then there is the human mind, and if there is the human mind... There is neither romance, nor human nature, nor governments, nor propaganda. I love that. Why? Why do you love that? It, it's just Gertrude Stein. Uh, and it's, I think a lot of people read Stein and they think she doesn't make any sense. But um, in this, in the geographical history, she makes, she makes like the most sense in a Steinian way. That Stein, you know, that Stein makes, but it's also very—it's very cultural commentary. Um, I think is which I think is really interesting. So, and how does it? Can you connect it into one of your poems now? Uh, we're gonna try. So here's the first um, poem from the book, which is in three short pieces: choreography, movement, topography. 
line after line after lucid days tangle in grass like ribbons of every color at a velocity not unlike sound, resonating west, north. Days correspond to shades of location, flags like prayers disperse on the wind. A trace of movements counted out in time against a backdrop of scenery like landscape, present and uncut. Against these lines, like the light fading, the sound like prayers or flags tangled in every color, impulse moving against a backdrop, an arrangement of inclination, lucid shadow. Like a gift, wrapped in degrees, resonating, echolocation at a pace heading north, heading east, a record of scenery, changing like seasons, orchids, palms, pines, unremitting. Like wind against time, these lines, like flags of improvisation, wrapped in a record, surroundings, resonating like a gift, locating without light, heading north, against a scene of ribbons, multicolored, like seasons twirl. Thank you. Yeah. That's Jill Darling, A Geography of Syntax her book of poems out with lavender ink on the table with us. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers. We've got Stephanie behind the glass and we'll be back. just tuning in. I'm glad you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Jill Darling is here in the studio. Her book, A Geography of Syntax, um, a collection of poems out with lavender ink. And um, Jill, you can go and see Jill this Sunday at Nicola's at 3 p.m. for a Sunday afternoon of poetry. Um, And get to hear more poems. There are more, more poems coming at you. Um, right back for, at you. Yes. <laughs> Surrounded by poems. Yeah, that's the best um, place to be. Really. When poems attack. No. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, but I will say, uh, before the break, we got to have, um, a, to hear a wonderful poem. Like the poem that actually, because um, we were talking about the origin story of your book, A Geography of Syntax, and even in the structure, how important it feels like. It's funny that in the, like, geography and syntax, it's about arrangement and what is viewed, the landscape, all of all of these things. And so thinking mm-hmm. about the structure of the book, I don't think is, is ac- like, I think that's a good place for us to start. Yeah, really. yeah that's interesting. And, like, space and location. And, um, and I think... Well, I don't know how much this is in the book, but I, what I love about the Stein just geography of history that I, the epigraph that starts that is it's all that's also a work about identity or finding one's place contextualized within all of these things the the geography the physical geography the like mental and social and other kinds of landscape um, and of course you know language is always at the center of that um, so and. Why, of course? Why, of course? Uh, so 
Stein grew up in the States, but she eventually moved to France and she lived in, you know, France for a long time in Paris and outside of Paris. Um, And for a lot of reasons, she was interested in language. But I think one thing that she did that was interesting is she always thought about the United States culturally, but also in terms of language from a France and maybe French speaking perspective or her own perspective of living as a person speaking French and living in France. Um, And then she's also interested in the idea that language, it doesn't matter how you put language together, it's going to create meaning. And sometimes it sounds like nonsense, but it's never totally nonsense because any language put together symbolizes something that we can make meaning of. Um, So she just, she loved words and she especially loved like really everyday ordinary words, which I think is cool too different than, you know, historical ways. Maybe we think of poetry or the way, maybe the way students think of poetry sometimes in the my intro classes where they think it has to be fancier, sound, you know, sound really poetic and really it can just use like the same language we all use. And how important sound is and the interruption of sound mm-hmm. yeah. and, and using that, mapping that out on the page even. Because many of your poems also, they don't end with... Um, periods it's often like a moment where it feels like that's dropped off so or it's broken or or conversely it's a sense of continuance continuance from it so it's yeah yeah I think yeah I think that's true too so there's this like a continuing or a constant kind of presence um there's not yeah I think that's true there's not like conclusions or final statements but it's sort of always in process, I guess. Yeah. So, which, you know, landscape is like that, which Stein says in the geographical history that like landscape or scenery is continuous, she says, and that totally relates to the writing of the poem or other kinds of writing. So all these connections I didn't even realize. <laughs> and, and I can tell sitting here how much you also love and value Gertrude Stein. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, Yeah, she's just, she's such an interesting character as a historical person and just, you know, had all these kind of wacky ways of thinking about language, but ways that I think make us like look and see and experience it differently. Well, because you can take it for granted, can't you? Mm -hmm. Language in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something I tell students too, when I teach the creative writing classes, like, after many years of, you know, struggling with like a lot of students don't like poetry, like many people in the world, you know, think poetry is, you know, not interesting or difficult or whatever. And I try to express to them that it's not necessarily that it's difficult or, you know, the poets aren't out to get you, but it's a poetry uses language and presents ideas in ways that we're not used to. It's not the same as, you know, academic papers or fiction stories or conversations that we have, you know, like it's a totally, it's meant to be something different. So we have to deal with it differently on, on its own terms, maybe. Yeah, and maybe be open to being a little, feeling displaced or unsettled a little bit somehow. Yeah, yeah, and totally. Because new, new geography or so. Right, and then we learn stuff from that. So that's what's cool about it, I think. Well, Jill, will you read us another poem? Sure. So this is called Pattern Praxis. What I've told you has been otherwise in circulation. History repeats the fragmentation of details, which read it was or the date was sometime in September, an object, leaf, stroke, yarn, connected to a hundred buttons scattered across the floor, a series of tests to determine in which system each button would like to participate. A sense of order, The pattern becomes jumbled once the buttons move too closely together at velocity, scattered repeats of fragmentation, the details of which would require every square highlighted in red. I love that line, which system a button would like to participate. (laughs) Like for them, the button is like has agency. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what that means, but it's true. Must be true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's okay that it 
that that can be like a line that is the most meaningful and you might not be able to easily define it. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. what you're talking about is some of the work of these these poems mm-hmm. here and in the world. Yeah. Um, although I also find in a geography of syntax there, the book is providing definitions at different points along the way, like defining things for itself. Oh, maybe that could be true. Yeah. And we talked about structure before. It just occurs to me that um, what we were talking about in the first quarter um, was that the um, you had epigrams by or epigraphs by Walt Whitman and Gertrude Stein, and then a poem that's um, that leads in, but before you have the first um, uh, section header, yeah. mm-hmm. and so. What is that doing for the rhythm? Because the poem that you chose to read us first, that says something about the whole collection. Yeah, I think uh, there's probably a couple reasons for that, I guess. I think the first poem that I read, the choreography, movement, topography, to me it sounds different than some of the other poems. And it's more, I don't know how to call it, it's like floaty or... Not flowery, but it's you get the sense of like flags floating on the wind. It's a little more poetic-y, I think, than some of the other uh, poems. But that was lovely. That was one of the lines that really stood out to me, too. It was something like prayers or flags tangled yeah. in every color. Yeah. So, and I think I spent some time in uh, Colorado and at Naropa. And if you ever, I don't know about these days, but when I was there, if you go to Boulder, there's like... Um, Buddhist prayer flags, like on every other, you know, house in town or whatever. Uh, so I used to see a lot of prayer flags around. So I think that's part of where that come from came from. So it sets up, there's like a landscapey geography thing. It's also like this, you know, the idea of poems or words or language or ideas or whatever it is going out, you know, floating out and like just being out there and continuing on or I don't know, something like that. And what was it like? What was your time in Colorado like in Naropa? Um, I did. I was in Colorado. I went there originally to do my um, MFA in creative writing. So I did that actually at Colorado State, which is in Fort Collins. And then I used to go to Naropa a lot for they had the they have this month long summer writing program there. So I did that a few times. Um, and they bring in faculty from all over uh, for the month long program. Well, I did. You can do the whole month or you can do week by week. So I think one time I did the whole month and then other years I did, you know, a few weeks or whatever. And then you take workshops with different writers from all over. And who was um, one of the people cool. that meant a lot to you at that time? Um, or so, still, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So Anne Waldman is one of the original founders of the. It's the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. Yes, a friend of the uh, show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And um, so Anne and um, Allen Ginsberg. You know, I never was there when Allen Ginsberg was there, but you know, he's still quite quite a legend there. Um, and that. So Anne is still. I think Anne is still the director of the program. So she's there in summers and. Um, you know, she's just this like really great and dynamic personality. So she's a really, it's awesome that she's still involved there. Cause I think she moves between there and New York, maybe I'm not sure these days. Um, and I met other writers like, um, Banu Kapil, you know, out there and, um, Talia Field is a kind of hybrid prose, um, fiction writer. Um, and, Gosh, I don't know. So, so many but, people, but people through the years. interested in experimenting in hybridity and yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting too the the program there. There's like people who think of themselves as poets and people who think of themselves as fiction writers, but um, there's a, a lot of people are you know not as concerned with the genre too, which is nice. Um, and in, like in the academic creative writing world, you know, everything has to have a category all the time. So it's nice to find spaces where you don't have to worry about that as much. You can just, you know, do stuff. So I, I feel like I learned so much about like writing and possibilities for writing, like in my time there a lot. And was that when you also started maybe being more open to collaboration too, like your work with Laura Weatherington and Hannah Enser? And... Yeah. So I met Laura and Hannah later, but I think actually the first time that I went to Naropa um, was because of collaboration, which is interesting to think about. Um, so I was, I had 
been living in Albuquerque, and I had two poet friends, um, Michelle Pierce, who now works at Naropa, and um, our friend Erica Murphy. And we were like we were like a little writing group, so we'd get together every week and write stuff and and workshop our work and stuff. Um, and then we all ended up going going to Naropa to do the summer program for a month. I don't. I don't know what year that was, a long time ago, <laughs> a really long time ago. And then Michelle stayed and she did the MFA at Naropa and I went up to Colorado State and did the MFA there. Um, and, you know, we've kept in touch over the years. And um, so, yeah, that is interesting. I think co- collaboration um, has often been really important, either in terms of sharing work, like individual work, or literally creating work with other writers is well well, let's take a short break and when we come back let's pick up on that okay today on the program jill darling is here her book on the table with us her book of poems a geography of syntax i'm t hetzel you've got living writers we'll be back i did my best to notice When the call came down the line Up to the platform of surrender I was brought but I was kind And sometimes I get nervous When I see an open door Close your eyes, clear your heart Cut the cord Are we human? My sign is vital My hands are cold And I'm on my knees Looking for the answer Are we human? Or are we dancers? Wave hello, because you've got living writers back. We're back. And um, here in the studio, Jill Darling and her book, A Geography of Syntax. And we've got Stephanie behind the glass. And um, and at the break, right before the break, we were talking about um, collaboration in, in creative work, too. And I wondered, because um, am I remembering this right, Jill? Um you sent out an email call after the election um, about poems of protest or resistance. Yeah. Um, let's check in about that because that's so that's a way of um, building community across, you know, you know, the Web and 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 finding people who's giving them their voices, sharing work. Yeah, so I did. I ended up getting some work from a number of people, and I, it's posted online in a kind of uh, raw format at the moment. Um, and I did have, and I've talked to. I have another writing group that I meet with um, in Ypsilanti on a regular basis, and we've talked about doing some kind of like collaborative editing project. I don't know what it would be, but so like we collect the work and put it together and make a book out of it. Um, and so and I you, think, are you still like, are you still accepting poems or yeah, pieces for yeah. this? Um, and it's been a little bit dormant, but uh, certainly we would still take some more stuff and, you know, anything, I mean, at first it was kind of like immediate response to the election and there was a lot going around the, you know, lots of creative writers and also artists and other people. There's a lot of stuff kind of going around on social media and all sorts of stuff. Um, and there's, I think there's been a few books, and I actually had a, a, a kind of a prose poem piece published in this super, super thick anthology called Resist, and it's this huge collection of, it seems like a million poets, you know, writing uh, poems and uh, work 
in response to um, that stuff. So, I mean, in a way, it would be a little maybe similar to that, but it'd be cool to get like a mix of genres. So like some stories and essays and other kind of stuff. And then if, you know, if we got like a nice collection of stuff together, then we could turn it into a book and either self-publish and just give it to people or... Would people you know, go to it. your website? Um, they might... That is on the it's uh it's called Frog Island Press. So it's a tiny little um thing. And Frog Island is this little park in Ypsilanti, so it's named after that. Uh so it's just frogislandpress.com and you can see stuff that's up there. And but, your and your site is jilldarling.com. That's right. So people could go to both of these sites yep. and check them out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in fact you can get the link to the to this book you can get from my website, which is super easy. So you can go to the Lavender Inc. Um, website or you can go to jilldarling.com and also get to the Lavender Inc. website. And it's you can order it also through Amazon, but it's always best to go right to the especially small poetry publishers. Yes. It's best to go right there. So yeah, that's political in itself. As is, I think, so So your book before this one, Solve For, mm -hmm. um, available um, from Blaze Box Books. Uh, Je that's Jeffrey Gatza's project, right? Yeah. And for, Hello, Jeffrey, if you're Hello. out there listening. Yeah. And it's a free download. Yeah, that one's totally free. So you can just download the PDF. Mm -hmm. So that seems to me also like a part of your, it, it fits in with your belief about sharing work. And there's something generous and and politically aware about that. And, yeah, I mean, I think that's true. And I, there's a lot of stuff you can find now on the internet, which is super cool. And um, Jeffrey's still, he's still putting books up there, but he makes a lot of print books and also has a lot of books available as eBooks and not, I think now a lot of publishers are also doing it, like you can download and pay for like the Kindle version eBook, but there's also a lot of poetry that you can get like free PDFs of and uh, it's totally cool. Yeah. So Blazevox would be a great place to go and check it out. And you could get an, another one of Jill Darling's books there, Solve For. Yeah, that's okay. right. Um, so I also, so on your website, since we're talking about this now, <laughs> um, it's, it's, you've got a comprehensive website because as you've mentioned earlier in the program, you also teach writing. Yes, I do. Um, in, in many places and in many formats. Yeah, that's um, true. So you're, because you're available for workshops. If a group, if a writing group wanted to contact you, you teach at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, Dearborn, EMU, um, other places even, I think you're 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 out there you're a working writer that's right so I one year I even taught once a week for the whole school year I drove to Windsor drove across the bridge every week to teach you're an international <laughs> working writer that's um, right. yes um and, and on on your website you actually you have a uh, then a tab for um pedagogy and presentations mm -hmm. so I was like huh well, I'll click on that too. <laughs> Getting ready to have this great conversation with you, Jill. And and I noticed that one of your presentations that you did pretty recently was um, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And so I and it and it starts with you talking. The part that you feature on the website is um, you're you're quoting from a student paper. Could you would you mind just telling us a little bit about this and and why you chose this subject to present on? Um, was it last summer? Uh, I think it was not this past summer, but the summer before, probably 2016. So, and I've I've done a couple versions of that presentation, but I did the recent one at the the um, writing across the curriculum conference that was actually here and hosted by Sweetland. Um, and I started writing the paper and what turned into the presentation of the Black Lives Matter because I was using some articles about Black Lives Matter in my some of my composition classes. Um, and I, I guess I started using them for a few reasons, um, because it was, you know, it was very in the news. And in some of my classes, we were talking about um, social media and like possibilities for social media to participate in social activism. Uh, and there's actually a few Books. There's a few books that came out just before Black Lives Matter, and they're about social media movements or the role of social media in some political movements. So, um, like in the like all of the stuff that was going on with Arab Spring and um, Egypt and Tunisia and you know other stuff. There was some bunch of stuff that happened in Spain. So these and then, but those books were published 
just before Black Lives Matter. So then you think, okay, well, then the next chapter would be Black Lives Matter. And there's since then, there's been some books um, come out about that. So I was doing some of that, like the social media thing, and then bringing in the Black Lives Matter articles and whatnot to class. And then, you know, naturally, a lot of students started writing, like doing their projects and writing papers. Um, and I, you know, I teach at schools that are especially have, diver, you know, really diverse student populations. So then students were, you know, they're really like identifying with the kinds of things that are happening on social media and in the world and whatnot. So I started to get some like... And on campus. And on campus. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, I was getting some like, like personal and powerful writing from students and it sort of fits in with you know, other parts of my pedagogy, which is kind of, it's about like bringing in like culture, culture and cultural critique and like social justice issues and other kinds of things into the classroom that the classroom is a space to talk about those things. But then writing is also a vehicle to engage with that stuff in the public realm. So this would be constructivism pedagogy, like the philosophies of like student-centered learning. Um, but what struck me about the, the, the piece that, that you feature on your website is just like the, the, um, the primary place where you have the student's voice and her writing as your, your analysis. Um, and I think that that, um, that, that was moving to me too, to, to see what she wrote and how you were seeing that at work in the classroom and yeah learning um yeah so yeah and you're teaching social activism right now is um, that right the fall 2017 just to place yeah, this in time well, in the, <laughs> um yeah i'm teaching a number of composition classes and we're what we're well right now we're early in the semester so we're still a little bit in history so we're talking about like mlk's letter from birmingham jail and uh, frederick Douglass and stuff like that so we set it sort of set it up historically and then it turns out it usually turns out pretty interesting because the students pretty readily make connections from the letter from birmingham jail to stuff that's going on now and you know that's such a great piece of writing so it's really easy to talk about rhetoric and persuasion and um, emotional appeals, you know, um, and it's also just so relevant in so many ways, too. So students, they get that stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's let's take a short break and then we'll come back. And when we do, um, Jill, do you mind reading a couple of the new poems from sure. their upcoming yeah, manuscript? That'd be great. With that? um, so today on the program, Jill Darling is here, her book, A Geography of Syntax. And if we can fit it in, we'll, we'll read another one from the book, too. Um, you've got Living Writers and we'll be back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Jill Darling is here, A Geography of Syntax, her latest collection of poems. And we've got another book that is um, in the wings. It's coming this winter. Um, so forthcoming. Uh, would you mind reading, like, the, have a debut, like a Living Writers um, <laughs> debut? Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to read this poem. It's called Refiguration, and re is in parentheses. 
And um, there's an epigraph at the top, and some of the language from the poem comes from Miranda Mantelsky, which um, I talked about at the beginning. She was one of my former students from EMU. She's just a super um, amazing, creative, and brilliant person. And she gave me really good feedback on the manuscript. I sent it to her for a comment. So I wrote this poem, uh, and the epigraph says, Can it be said sharply, the knife in the nebula of memories? Miranda Mantelsky. Be ugly, uglier. Your deep archaicisms take the pain but not the brunt. There is no flesh, skin surface. When parentheses become distracting and the word splits, whole pieces, arbitrary structural gestures, there is no future, empty, aching heart moves circuitously, recursive toward the past again and again. Whiteness is a psychosis. Red, dripping onto a mural, a changing political climate, a conscious mirror, prose sticks, eat stones, with each iteration a subtle shift, nuance, each different same river. It does not try to hide this redundancy. Broccoli has become ugly, a stand-in. I wanted to say that Brussels sprouts are all about faith and trends, like framed monotony, variations on a geographic theme. It feels like stuttering, and in the end, like stuttering, sentences form. There is no end. Looking through a peephole is only one perspective. Stand at the top of a building, hazard the slowness of change, refigure static impulses, unbraid a dream, weave mourning into a new direction, not frozen like statues exactly, but timeless, all the same or different, that is to say, imperceptible time, utterance echoes daily across the heart, the layering of a drum roll, unexpected tedium, shifting, each facet a subtle shade. Concrete and rain, rain on the roof, how the sound changes with each repeated echo, still here and still alive despite its wounds, and all too often silenced battle cries. Recognize words sounded, not every silence. Gear an internal army, make time to drive through walls and carve open wounds for optimal healing, like plastering, dig out the crack and make it worse. Then layer wet cement until it becomes the same, its original self, but it's not the same, a repetition, an illusion, a nod to, to, to tradition with a contemporary twist, a growing thing, dig it out, make it worse. Spread strategy and anticipation. Echo, delicate, slide, veer, alter, adjust, repeat. Thank you, Jill. Yeah. So, so that one feels that one feels very alive to the moment. Yeah, I think as I some of these poems are a little more recent, and even when I did some of the revisions in a geography, a lot of them turn out to be more like in the like responding to contemporary you know issues and political stuff um so yeah that comes in there and you work you managed to work like brussels sprouts in there yeah importantly i think mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i mean broccoli caught me off guard but then brussels sprouts yeah. really did i don't we eat a lot of brussels sprouts at my house so I don't, it, it was i guess it was inevitable <laughs> <laughs> the deeper meaning of Brussels sprouts right. brought to you by Jill Darling and T. Hetzel. Yeah. And Stephanie Carpenter Douglas here <laughs> on a Thursday afternoon. That's um, right. And so, so it isn't, so when you're writing the poems too, you, you mentioned at the top of this one, when you started Jill was that um, you were using parentheses even in the title, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this is reminding me of this and it was one of your um, section headings too. Um, lyric intervention that's is this part of the way um instead of lyric invention <laughs> we're having an intervention um yeah. is this part of it like how you're using um even grammar punctuation um sound oh yeah maybe so like the idea of syntax from this book is 
you know, like the syntax is the order in which you put words in the sentence. And so if you mess with the order, interesting or funny things can happen. Um, so that's, that is like an intervention that a lot of poets, you know, play with messing with the order. Um, and the new book that's coming out is called Reiterations and the re at the beginning is in parentheses. So it's re in parentheses and then iterations. And it is kind of redundant to say re iterations. Um, but a lot of the poems in the book started, I was writing poems in response to other poets' poems or taking other poets' poems and like pulling out some of the language and then writing new stuff. Um, so the idea of the iteration or different versions or repetition um, kind of moves through. And then that book is broken into three sections and the three sections are more simply titled Cities, Bodies, and Art. And then there's like resonance and repetition of language between the poems in each of those sections, I think, too. So, so you're always interested in the relationship among bodies or physicalities, whether it's like built language or actual bodies, it sounds like in this. Yeah, bodies well. and like social spaces and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of things like that. So there's actually an um in the new book, there's a few poems about uh, that come from, I was writing during uh, the time when Detroit was going through the bankruptcy. So there's, you know, there's kind of that, you know, like the history of Detroit. And then um, one of the poems is like, I was kind of annoyed that there was all this upset about selling art from the DIA, which, you know, I love the DIA and I love the art at the DIA, but people were really upset about selling art from the DIA. But they were not upset about like people losing their pensions, you know, after they'd worked their whole lives. So, you know, there's a some of that in there. <laughs> and and Jill, where are you from? Like, what's your? I grew up in Mount Clemens, so I didn't grow up in Detroit, but I grew up in Mount Clemens, which is right outside of Detroit, and um, did my undergrad at University of Detroit Mercy. So, been around here a little while. You're you're a, a Michigan. That's true. Michigan. Yep person. Um, and Michigan gets to us all, I think, even if you move here from afar. you I don't know. There's a lot of history here. Yeah. A lot of really interesting and, you know, a lot of really difficult history, too. So Very much so. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you're not, um, you're challenged and you are not afraid to write about it and reckon with some of it in your books and with the way you use language. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, what I always say to students too is like that the process of writing itself is a way to learn things or discover things. So when I was doing some, reading some poems from this geography book and I was reading them out loud and it occurred to me like some of the connections that were made in the poems, which I hadn't actually even realized before until I was reading them out loud, which was really, that's kind of a cool thing that writing can do you know yes yeah and we do tell our students that too mm -hmm. so it's yeah. good to know that it's it's at work um and it's part of your practice as well um from speaking with you throughout this this conversation jill it's clear to me that you've always kept poetry and making as like something that's really alive even for example even when you were doing your dissertation you were also writing poems yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you went to Naropa you were you seek out these different uh, but so is that what is your practice like like what is it uh, does it ebb and flow or is it something that it seems like is in your day-to-day -day as well uh both I think it ebbs and flows but I always know when I'm um, not doing enough writing because I get especially cranky. So then I think, oh, I, probably I need like more exercise, and then also I should like you know make sure I'm doing doing the regular writing exercise. Too. I feel like you're being <laughs> Dr. Jill now. Prescriptions for poets, right? And yeah. other writers. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, wow. yeah. Some, well, we were talking. We're all about, nodding. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. You have to talk yourself through. You know. Uh, yeah. So I think it's it's something that I try to. I probably. I do pretty regularly, but then you always think, oh, no, I, like I never do that. And I have to remember how to do it every time, you know, even though we all do it on a regular basis. So, yeah, because you can you can get a bit creaky like the Tin Man mm -hmm. with things. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, definitely. So, well, let's, could we hear another poem from A Geography of Syntax? Sure. Go on. 
which and and again just to remind everybody the event september 24th this sunday afternoon poetry at nicholas 3 p.m that's right so i'm going to read this one uh i especially like the title which i think relates to the title of the book because it has syntax in the title uh the poem title is a particular sense of nonsense syntax which i think sums it up through every shaded almost a tone like carnival bears at breakfast or a realization square by square shrink wrapped into a package of solid perception lines etched in wood like the memory of children on a black and white television in the 80s the sound of every sense was lo-fi and cataclysmic the nuclear holocaust like a bad sitcom on the verge. Thank you, Jill. Thanks. Yeah. So on the verge. So that's on also verge. that's also something that you're I feel like that's that poem is coming in sort of like the the latter middle part of the book and it's pushing you on. Is there another poem that you would like to read for us sure. before before we say goodbye? Before we say goodbye. I'm just gonna read this very last it's the very last one in the book, and it comes at the end of this like poem in a number of pieces at the almost end, but this is the very last page. Yeah. Gathering shadows, naked on peaks, born into clouds, the noise of composition, headlines hemorrhage and the ink stains our fingers. We are complicit. Breathtaking curves of gravel converse lightly around wildflowers covering thick and spreading, fragile petals low to the ground, waters rising. In an era of topography, sedimented like sandstone, strata of spice, each blade bending, a windscreen is little to stand behind. Thank you. And yeah. those, and those are, that's the, the final image of the book. Yeah, which I think might be about climate change I hadn't realized until this moment. <laughs> Could be about anything. It's kind of wide open. But the waters are rising. Yes. Yeah. And the windscreen. Oh. No use in a hurricane. No, 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 that's true. I saw a picture of a um, down in Florida, uh, a condo that had the hurricane, like the special technology hurricane shutters that were nowhere to be found in the window was all wide open. So the storm blew through the hurricane shutters and blew through the whole house. So not to, you know, not to end on a totally depressing note or anything. <laughs> Yay for poetry. Yay for poetry. Yeah. And well, and also not like not looking away, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and thinking about luck and, and how, you know, sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't mm -hmm. and i guess and and activism i feel like we've we've covered a lot of uh, topography now <laughs> and now it's time to go so today um you've been listening to living writers um thanks so much jill darling thank you so much yeah. t for having me and, and jill's book is a geography of syntax uh, again this sunday september 24th at nicola's at 3 p.m upcoming other events janet kaufman september 26th at emu's uh, bathhouse series and Laura Thomas and Laura Kaziski, uh, September 27th at 7 p.m. at Nicola's. Thanks so much for everyone out there listening. Um, thanks to Stephanie for engineering. Um, many thanks to Jill Darling for being our lovely guest today. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Show me something beautiful Can you show me something beautiful Beautiful Show me something beautiful Can you show me something beautiful Wow Can you show me something beautiful Beautiful Show me something beautiful Do you feel temperatures rising of lightning so brightly do you know who who would love to love you i do can you let your worried mind move
you show me something beautiful? 